G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about relationships today or the way it's framed today, relational intelligence. We might all appreciate the importance of good relationship skills and especially now, perhaps for many of us as parents, how we pass those skills along to the next generation. Human beings are relational creatures, so if we get relation in, relational intelligence right for ourselves and for our children, our lives are going to be empowered. Not only our physical relationships, but our financial relationships, our emotional relationships, and our professional relationships will all take on a new strength. Even in this age of ongoing digital distractions, we know that forming healthy relationships is an essential life skill. If relationships are important for us, it's all the more important for our kids, not just for their future success, but for their well-being right now. Well, our special guests today, Dr. John Trent and Dr. Dewey Wilson, say adults and children alike are wired for relationships and relational intelligence is the most incredible gift a parent can give their child. They've written a new book. It's called The Relationally Intelligent Child, Five Keys to Helping Your Kids Connect Well with Others. They're joining us from the United States. Dr. John Trent is in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Dr. Dewey Wilson is in Dallas, Texas. Uh, to both of you, uh, to John Trent, welcome along. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you, Neil. And to Absolutely, Dewey, Neil. welcome to, to you. Here. Fabulous. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure being here. And uh, look, I'm aware, and uh, for listeners uh, to know, that your release for your new book uh, was last month in April. It's sold out day one on Amazon. There's a big uptake for this sort of information for parents. This is something that's uh, pretty important. Let's get our conversation underway, and I'll come to you first, John. Uh, the idea that, you know, sometimes we talk about IQ or intelligence quotient and uh, others have written all sorts of wonderful things about emotional intelligence. Uh, we're talking about uh, a different sort of intelligence today, relational intelligence, but let me ask you about that one that most of us are, are very familiar with, IQ, but you say this is a little bit overrated. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true in the standpoint that uh, no one's saying, you know, don't let your kid go to school and they don't have to learn math or science or uh, anything. But really what IQ is, Neil, is it's a capacity measurement. So, like, um, were you really the smartest one in your family or did you have a brother or sister that was way smarter than you? And your thoughts on intelligence quotients and the way people want to measure us and uh, put us up against one another and, and put us in some sort of a, you know, uh, stand here and someone's above you and someone's below you. Dewey, what are your thoughts for, for that idea? Well, absolutely. I, you know, as John was getting to is, is that, you know, it, it, 
intelligent you know iq is a capacity based learning and you know john john has a twin brother and and they uh, while they look exactly the same i mean when it comes to you know differences they have their difference and and one of them is you know john's all the time saying that i mean which i think he's being modest but at the same time he has an earned phd just like i do so i mean we we value academia and we're not saying to parents that that it, that that's not important because it is important uh, but what we are saying is that instead of a capacity-based learning, which IQ is, we're talking more of an application. Uh, basically, that you know, we're, we're te- we want parents to understand that God has equipped all of us for relationships. We're made in His image, and so therefore, relationships are, are, are a priority. And so instead of looking at it at a capacity-based learning, what we're looking at is, a, is, is exercising our God-given ability to connect well with our children. And, and Neil, who else to, to give unconditional love to our children than a parent? Because that's the way God designed it to begin with. You know, we start to talk about relational intelligence, and uh, all of a sudden we're thrown into this idea. I wonder whether my understanding of that is where it should be, or if I missed some of those essentials in my own childhood, what was passed on to me from my parents and the way I might relate to others in my world, uh, whether somehow or other uh, I'm, I'm coming from a place that maybe is it too late for me. Is it ever too late to start to apply some of these sorts of ideas about how we actually make our relational interactions much more effective? John, what are your thoughts? Well, um, you know, that's a great question that you asked because it used to be people would say, well, you were born with X capacity um, and intellect and boy, if you missed out, you know, in early in life, that then you really can't, you know, teach old dogs new tricks or even your kids if they missed it when they were younger or you did. Um, well, that's absolutely now just been debunked in the standpoint. There's something called neuroplasticity. And it's what it's what the Lord, the way he created our brain, that, that even if you've had some of these kind of uh, connections in your brain that that weren't connected, you can reconnect them, meaning you can absolutely learn uh, uh, how to do this, you know, how to be relationally intelligent. But but I'm here to tell you for the average parent and for the average kid, um, you know, we are we are wired to connect. The problem is, man, we have been shut down just here in the U.S., just like you in Australia for a whole year. To, uh, to the point that, you know, so many of us need to learn how to reconnect. And that's really what I think we'll get to talk about is, is man, you, you can learn this. And, and actually, it'll tie right into how God has created us. And so I think it'll be a really fun way to learn and really encourage our kids and ourselves. And if we get disconnected, this idea of reconnecting, uh, that's got some challenges all on its own. But if we fail to get these connections right... In what ways does this hold us back? Dewey, uh, this is something that this is going to concern all of us, and especially parents thinking about their children. We don't want our children to be held back, so if we've got to get some things right, what sort of ways do we get affected uh, if we don't get the relational intelligence right? 
Well, Neil, here again, that's a that's a great question, and it basically leads into how John and I actually wrote the book. Um, before my wife and I went into ministry, full-time vocational ministry in 2002, uh, I spent about 20, 25 years in construction, and um, I was a framing contractor and then, and then uh, actually became a home builder uh, here in Dallas for many, many years. And you know, Neil, when, when we were building houses, uh, the, the most important thing that we paid attention to was the foundation. Now, I mean, how many people walk into a home that has a concrete floor and, and, and the, they've never seen the house before and they walk through the door and they go, man, this is just an incredible foundation. I mean, that, that's, that's not what they look at. But in all reality... That's the most important part of the home, because if you can't get the foundation right, then everything else that you put on top of, it's not going to be right either. And so when we wrote, wrote the book, we, you know, John and I have discussed it. Well, maybe there's something that's foundational to every element that we're going to be talking about today, and that is the secure attachment. And we find that, and even research shows, that when there is a secure attachment, and Neil, it doesn't happen. It's what goes back to what John is talking about a while ago with neuroplasticity. You know, our brains are wired in that even if we begin to reconnect these neural pathways in, in, in which these emotions are, are flowing through, and then also the, the, the reality that we're, we're bonding once again through a secure attachment, uh, well, then that just sets the foundation for everything to follow. And so what we want um, readers to understand is that while they may have a sense of hopelessness and, you know, that maybe they just feel like they've they've just missed the boat altogether, that they've just failed at parenting, we want to encourage them to understand and know that 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 God is he is still in the business of being God and that, that he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And what he wants parents to do, regardless of what, what the stage they're in, is to become educated about their children. And so and that's part of the secure attachment laying a good foundation. So this secure attachment, John Trent, is this a spiritual only secure attachment or is this this happening across the relationships that we might have within our marriage, our family, with our children? This secure attachment, does it start in the spiritual and does it overflow into the physical relationships we have? Yeah, I, that's a great way of looking at it because I think it does start with the fact that God loves us and is is you know crazy about us. I mean, uh, sent His Son you know to to die for us. Uh, so there's that sense in which you're right. It starts off with you know we were created for attachment and and you know. Uh, you know, God loves us. But I think what he's done, as Dewey was saying, and what, what we're doing in this book, The Relationally Intelligent Child, is 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 telling parents, okay, so we we need this connection. Hopefully we have that connection with the Lord. Uh, but boy, we need to be attached with our kids. Can I, can I give you a quick example? Sure. Okay, so uh, in... Um, Virginia Tech is a really great school uh, here in the States. It, um, they were doing a study not long ago where on campus at Virginia Tech uh, is this big, steep hill. And what they would do is they would grab students that were walking by. Now, they'd, they'd grab some that were by themselves, and then they'd grab some that were like in pairs. So it could be a couple dating or a roommates or whatever. Uh, but so, but they'd stand the person all by themselves and have them look at the hill. It was a visual perception study. And as they're looking at this high hill, okay, 
they would put a 45 pound backpack on them and then ask them to think about individually, you know, just guess. So, you know, how high is the hill? How hard is it going to be to climb? Well, then they'd take the people that had that good friend with them. So they'd make sure, do you know this person? You're really attached. Okay, we're great friends. We've been friends, you know. So they would take somebody that's, and they would put the backpack on them. And the, but here's what would, the difference is then they'd have somebody that was close to them put their hand on their shoulder and say, hey, I'm going to climb the hill with you. And then they'd have them look at the hill and every time, when they were by themselves, the hill was steeper. Do you see what I'm getting at? And harder to climb. When you have somebody with their hand on your shoulder um, that you're attached to, that's not going anywhere, man, uh, the hill shrunk. And, and that's what we're getting at. Our kids today, and that's in Australia, that's here in the States, they've got some big hills in front of them and lots of challenges in, in the world we live in. But boy, you know, the Lord you know, puts his hand on us, you know, like Dewey says, you know, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when parents begin to communicate that kind of attachment with their touch, appropriate touch, you know, with their, um, you know, great eye contact with verbally blessing those kids. So that's what we talk about in the attachment part of relational intelligence is start with that great foundation. And then from there, you can begin. Uh, that's where it begins. And then from there, they can begin to go explore their world. Even when we as parents are not there with our children, they'll still have that secure attachment to Jesus, yeah. our God. Next week on Vision Christian Radio, your chance to join the team that's bringing God's Word to hundreds of thousands nationwide. Visionathon on Vision Christian Radio. Wonderful to have you with us. Friday edition 2020, two special guests who've authored a book called The Relationally Intelligent Child. Five Keys to Helping Your Kids Connect Well with Others. Dr. John Trent and Dr. Dewey Wilson, our guests live from the United States right now. And I do want to open our talkback line. You might have a question. You might have a comment. Well, you can call us on 1-800-316-316. And you can respond to a question I have on our Facebook post today. The question I'm asking is, what do you think are the key ingredients to being a relationally intelligent person. You'll find that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's continue our conversation. Let me come to you, John, because there's lots of studies around these sorts of issues that are affirming what you have been writing about. Another study from Plymouth University. Give us some insights here. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about in really the first element of being relationally intelligent and helping our kids do that is building a secure attachment. And uh, we talked about how, you know, uh, one study, you know, if somebody was actually right there and put their hand on you and the hill shrunk. Well, guess what? In, in, they did that same study in England at Plymouth University. So they had, you know, a person by themselves and here's a high hill. And just like we talked about, they would overshoot. They'd look at the hill as when they had to do it all by themselves, the hill was higher and harder to climb is what they felt. But then they asked them, there was no one else there, but they said, who is somebody you can think of? A significant person. 
And for a lot of people, you know, for a number of people, they thought, you know, it was the Lord that they thought about. But also they thought about a parent or that person that had really been there with them. And they said, just think about that person being here with you, climbing that hill with you. And that shrunk the hill. So again, you know, we're saying kids today, man, they need to be able to they've been so forced into screen-based relationships that just shut down our ability to relate well with others. And, uh, and boy, one of the best things we can do is just start with that attachment. That's one of the five things that, that we wrote about. Well, screens robbing us of that relational attachment uh, to friends and perhaps even on that spiritual plane as well and within families, undoubtedly. Dewey, let me ask you, because sometimes we think, oh, okay, here's another conversation. It's about children, but this is about parents too. Parents need to be able to have some things strong in our own relational attachments so that our children can benefit from those. Uh, We've all gone through certain levels of stresses over this past uh, 12 to 15 months with COVID. And uh, and this is, there's been some elements here. Uh, Children have felt more stressed because their parents are stressed. Dewey, what are your thoughts? Well, that's exactly true, uh, Neil, because it's, you know, even the CDC had done a report, um, uh, they've done a research prog- uh, process about uh, about a little over a year ago, and they began with some statistics in January of 2019 that, that, that uh, determined that about 19% of the children in the United States were experiencing some level of high anxiety or even um, a uh, depression a- a- uh, d- disorder. And so they they did this uh, survey among uh, teenagers here in the United States over the last year while COVID has been uh, enacted here and the and the, uh, uh, the the stay in place. And what they determined was is that forty two percent of the kids that they surveyed uh, are showing some level of stress disorder and de- and depression disorder. And you know when when asked about this, it, it, it how is this possible? Well. So many of these kids are taking their cues from the parents, and there's no doubt that uh, that most of these parents are stressed today, having to deal with not just the the normal activities that that they did at home before COVID, but now everything is taking place in the home. And you know, here in the United States, we're just now beginning to come out of that out of that shell, if you will. But you know, kids take their cues from their parents, especially when kids are young. And if there's one thing that parents can do to help their children, and it, and quite quite frankly, it, it's not that hard to do, but it's something you have to be cognizant of and and do it uh, oftentimes. And that is is that just don't portray the appearance of being stressed. Because children feel what they see, what you know, they, they feel what their parent, what they see from their parents, and it's just a matter of time before that stress gets transferred because they're seeing that in their parents. And so, if there's one thing that we want to encourage parents to do is to is to help do, find ways to lower that stress level, because in just doing that, that it's going to help their children. Dewey, you cover five points in your book. I wonder if in a short 60 seconds you can give us what those five points are and we'll enlarge on some of those as the conversation continues 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, when when John and I were were putting together the relationally intelligent child, uh, we we as we've already talked about, we the the first element is a secure attachment, and just as we were talking about it being foundational, well, every single one of these elements, uh, the element that follows it is is going to be built on that foundation that it follows, and so it it it, be, it becomes the the you know every every element is just is, is built on it. Now, the first element was secure attachment, and what that leads to. It, it paves a way for fostering a fearless exploration. And that's giving the, the child the confidence and the ability to explore their world in a way that, that, uh, that really will set them up to succeed as they get older. And that leads to the third element, which is it, that results in an unwavering resilience. Because as we allow our children to, to explore their world, then there's going to come a point in time when they're going to when they fail or they're going to fall. And what we say, it's not how you fail, it's how you get back up after you fail. And then the fourth, which leads to the fourth element, is as the more resilient they become, then in the process of that, they're going to learn how to make more wise decisions. And so, you know, that uh, it, it's when they, we experience something, then we fall down, and then we've got a, a secure attachment with people who can help us get back up. Well, then the, the decisions that we learn from that get filed away in our long-term memory that, that we're able to access later as we get older and become adults. And then that leads to the fifth element. All four of these elements combined, the secure attachment, the fearless exploration, the unwavering resilience, and the wise decision-making lead to the fifth element of a future-focused serving of others. You know, God created every one of us with a purpose. And if we can, we believe that if we can get these four elements right, then we believe that the way we wrote it in The Relationally Intelligent Child is that these children are going to understand better what they're created by God to do. And so that leads to the future-focused service of others. As we move into this part of our conversation here, how parents can sometimes hold our children back. John, let me come to you because sometimes we're aware of some of the parenting styles that we have and uh, some people think of the helicopter parents. And uh, there's all sorts of ways that parents can be resistant to letting our kids go and make their own mistakes, fall over and fail. Uh, John, what are your thoughts for the way that sometimes if we don't get these relational ideas right, we're going to be holding our kids back? Well, um, you know, first of all, so many parents, uh, you know, nobody wants to see their kid uh, fall down, you know, but uh, when they're very little and they're just learning to walk, you realize that back, you know, at that point, that's just an essential part of life is just falling down and getting back up. And and so I think one of the things that we talk about in the book, the second element of, of uh, being relationally intelligent is just kind of that, that whole idea of just unwavering resilience. The fact that parents really can figure out, um, Neil, there's a lot of parents that think, you know, let's say their kid's really struggling at school at 10 years old, right? Uh, well, I, that was me. I was really struggling. Uh, and uh, then it got worse and I got kicked out of grade school. And, and then, you know, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I'm ashamed to say. And boy, you know, it would have been so easy for my mom to just say, well, you know, what a failure. My twin brother, on the other hand, was a straight A student, never did anything wrong. And is a great guy. And I love, we love him to death. But what I'm getting at is, is that um, a lot of us think as parents, who our kid is right now, if they're struggling, or if they are falling down is what who they're going to be, you know, 
30 years from now. That's their biggest fear almost, you know. And I think what we need to do is have, like Dewey said, that calm presence, that ability to stay connected, that ability to, you know, it's almost like the prodigal father, you know, uh, you, you didn't see the, you know, the, uh, well, I'm going to go uh, pay for your everything while you're out, out, you know, doing what you shouldn't, um, but always willing to be there when they come back. And, and so those are the kinds of things that we get into is, man, you need to help your kids be resilient. And that means sometimes they're going to make you know, not great decisions, um, but they can learn and grow from them. And you can continue to trust the Lord even in the midst of it. Dewey, you call those sorts of parents snowplow parents. Uh, doesn't snow in as many places in Australia as perhaps it does in your homeland. Uh, give us a thought or two here about the idea that a snowplow parent uh, doesn't want anything negative to ever happen to their child. Well, it, it goes along with what Dr. Trent was just saying is that, you know, all, what parent wants their children to fail? Uh, you know, but it, it seems like so many parents today, their idea of success for their children is for them not to experience any adversity. Uh, and so that they, you know, that, that they'll be able to have the best, greatest opportunities come along as they get older and get into college. But the, the reality of that is, is it's just the opposite. I mean, research will show that those those kids that were allowed to to make their own decisions are the ones uh, that actually succeed. And you know, p- parents have got such a fear because, I mean, when it, it, looking at as a parent today and as a grandparent, I'm looking at the world that they're living in, and then the the world that these kids wake up in day after day, and it just seems like it just gets more challenging and challenging and challenging. And so the natural instinct of a parent is to is is to basically just get in there and, and just like a snowplow does, just plow that path in front of their children so that they don't have to experience any adversity at all. And what we're what we're seeing in the book is is that you know you need to allow your children to fail. And I'm not saying that you make a, that they allow them to become a failure, because it's not so much about failing that that we want to highlight is that what allowing them to get up and what they do when they do get up. And John said something was just very important a while ago. It is and that falls into the secure attachment. When we create a, a safe place at home for our children, it's a place for them to come back to. And you know, and all of this combined, I mean, we're asking parents to to step out of their comfort zone, uh, to to maybe do something completely different than what they've done before, and to basically give their kids more control. And for some parents, that's like, man, you know, I'm, I I can't even trust them to do things in the house, much less give them more control outside the house. But when that secure attachment is there, what what they'll do is is they'll learn to make mistakes. You know, when I. I, I grew up with a manly man for a father, and he used to tell me, you know, when I when I failed or when I uh, did something that caused me pain, he used to tell me, you know, boy, get up because it's it's too far from your heart to kill you. And you know, that's a. I, I used to get really angry when he told me that, but the truth of the matter is, I'm going. I'm going to survive. It's just like the toddler that John's talking about when they when they fall, their natural instinct is to get back up, and we need to let our children do that more. John, there's some elements in your book. We might even describe it like a toolbox for parents because it's all very well to read things in theory, but you've got some practical applications in your book too around issues to do with personality and those sorts of things. What would what would listeners expect for those sorts of practical understandings of how I do the parenting task a whole lot better because not everybody is very well equipped in these areas. What, what have you got in your book that might be helpful? 
Sure. Um, you know, again, I think, you know, for a lot of us, like I grew up in a single parent home. And, and so, you know, my wife and I had to learn a lot of things. It, uh, she grew up in a big time alcoholic home. And so we didn't have a great model. And, and the great news is that, man, uh, you know, the Lord can step into our life. He can give us the, the courage, the ability to learn. There's that neuroplasticity, the fact that we can learn, you know. Um, and then one of the things we've done in the book is say to parents, okay, so maybe this whole relational intelligence thing is is pretty new. Um, well, here's a great starting point is, is we have them figure out, for example, who are their kids? What is their, you know, how were they wired? What's their personality? And there's a little personality instrument that's a part of this uh, process. And you can see, well, what is my kid? If they're older, they can take it themselves. But the parents can as well. Because my wife and I are real different, uh, you know, personalities. And both of our kids, you know, the Lord gave us two awesome daughters. And, but, and you know, they look alike, but they are very different. So I, uh, you know, it's, you know, the one of the things in scripture, train up a child in the way they should go. Well, literally in Hebrew, it's train up a child according to their bent. So I think when we help our kids understand their bent, uh, and, and then just, you know, again, be that calm presence that God's going to be there with them. And we are too. Uh, my dad was, a. uh, a Marine in World War Two and fought with some Aussies uh, down by New Guinea and was actually wounded. And, and I thank God for whoever the Australian doctor is that saved my dad's life. Uh, he ended up in a field hospital in Australia and went down to 120 pounds and uh, uh, almost died. But I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some Aussie doctor that I'll hopefully meet in heaven someday and get to say thank, to, thank you to. But my dad always talked about how, you know, the Australians that he fought with were so you know, calm <laughs> when things were going really hard. And I do think that that's a great characteristic that we can take into parenting is to say, okay, Lord, you are in control. And I realize my kids not where I want them to be. And maybe they are, maybe they're doing great, but maybe, so that would be like my twin brother, but maybe they're like me and, <laughs> you know, and didn't do so great early on, but boy, we can really help them move towards uh, you know, with attachment, we can help them move toward resilience and make better decisions and then even begin to go out and change their world. What a wonderful connection you have to Australia, John. That's fabulous. Let me come to you, Dewey, because there is a sense here. I suspect there's no other time than we that we are most hungry for wisdom on raising our children than when we're just getting started, when we have young children. And there's this idea that if you don't socialize your children, help them with those relational interactions that they have with other children and toddlers as uh, they grow into those school years. If we don't socialize our children young, uh, we might miss it. And the children will miss some of the foundations that we've been talking about and you may not be able to recover very well what are your thoughts for that time in our lives when we are hungriest to be the best parents does does your book touch on those sorts of things is it for new parents or is it for parents who are already well established or parents where everything's out of control what are your thoughts dewey 
Well, there's actually something for just about every parent in there. I mean, because we want to, as I think we've already done, laid the foundation for, we want to encourage parents who, who, as John said a while ago, they may have children that are just, they don't seem to be getting it. Uh, But there is a tremendous amount of information in there for new parents. And, you know, uh, going back to what John was talking about a while ago, uh, uh, you know, uh, if there's something that, that new parents can do, one is to create that calming atmosphere. Uh, because at a very, very early age is when children are going to take their cues from their parents the, the most. That's when they have the strongest desire for connection and, and reliance upon their caregiver. Uh, but also, John was alluding to, to the connect assessment that we have in, in the relationally intelligent child as well. And it's a, it's a personality assessment that, that teaches parents what their strengths are and how they prefer to communicate and resolve conflict and make decisions. But also, it teaches them how their children are wired and how they uh, how they have a tendency to learn. You know, oftentimes, and I think it was Dr. Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Language, it says that we tend to, to express our love language uh, to our spouse based on our particular love language. Well, in parenting, it's, it's, it's almost the same way. We tend to, to want to raise our children with what we know best, and that's how we're wired. But in reality, what our, you know, I have a daughter, my oldest daughter, Tiffany, is, uh, she's, she's just such an incredibly uh, wise girl. And that's not to say that my youngest daughter, Erin, is not, but their personalities are completely different. And, and Tiffany was almost like John's brother. She was tremendously strong in academics. And, and you know, she, she was not so much as social as what Erin is, because Erin is our, uh, she is our otter. She is the one who does enjoy uh, interacting with people. And I used to, and, and I'm like that. I'm like, I'm like Aaron is. And so I used to try to parent Tiffany the way that, you know, with the likenesses and the strengths that I have. And and man, I, I tell you what, I was just creating more stress for myself and exerting energy that I didn't have to exert because if I had just stepped into her world just long enough to realize that this is how she's wired, then, then I, uh, Neil, I have to believe that the attachment not only would have happened quicker, but it would have been stronger in the beginning. Quicker attachment, stronger in the beginning, which is going to mean strength later on. Your book is called The Relationally Intelligent Child, Five Keys to Helping Your Kids Connect Well with Others. John, let me come to something that is so important here because we discussed what those five points are and and uh, you've enlarged on some of them. The secure attachment, the fearless exploration, the unwavering resilience, the wise decisions, and those four leading to the one which is like this is the end result, the future focus serving of others. John, is this the goal? Is this what we ought to look like when we get the relational intelligence right in the formation of who we are? What's so important about that fifth point? Well, um, you know, I'm telling you, uh, Neil, that's a great question. And again, I'd love the way you just kind of go right to the heart of things, because that's really where we're trying to get parents to to realize it. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, the John, uh, the apostle says, you know, I have no greater joy than to see my children are walking in the light. And I'm telling you, when you see your kids go out and go make a difference in the world. They're encouraging others. Uh, they're, you know, relating well with others, with their own family. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's no greater joy than to, to have a child where instead of them 
uh, everything has to be about them and focused on them, okay? All of a sudden, when you build a relationally intelligent kid, uh, and I get, I just think this is kind of where the Lord directs us, is we're able to then say, you know, hey, um, you know, I, I, I've got this launching pad to go out and really make a difference. And people want that. People want to, uh, the, the, the kids do, the parents you know, do. Um, but what we try to do is just say, hey, here's five things that help you move in that direction. But it really does do just what you said. It moves them right towards that. Let's go change the world for Christ. Changing the world for Christ, this is so important. And Dewey, we're running short of time, but I don't want to miss your insights into some issues around that because we might connect Jesus with relational intelligence and whether that's the relationships that he had to his disciples or even to the government of the day or even those who were setting themselves up as his enemies and even the relationships that he might be reflecting even into future generations. I wonder whether you've got a thought or two as we wrap things up here about Jesus and the way that he has contributed to understanding about relational intelligence. Well, I mean, there there was no other or no better individual in all of the history of mankind that was a better example for connecting well with others than Jesus. I mean, you think of the the, the blind man uh, whom, you know, Jesus knew what he wanted, but he needed the individual that, that was blind to know what they wanted. Uh, same thing when it was healing, but he approached every single person according to their need. He was so astute to what they needed, and he wanted them to understand what they needed in order for them to succeed in life. Uh, whether it be the, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, Jesus didn't quickly answer their questions. You know, it's, it's like the, you know, when they ask uh, John the Baptist, you know, was, was, was he a prophet or was he, a, uh, was he a, a, of God or was he just a good teacher? You know, the, he, Jesus came back and he asked them, you know, he, you know what, what they thought. And uh, he wanted them to, to analyze what they were thinking. And so if there was somebody that was able to connect with anybody, it had to be Jesus. And, you know, he, he met every single person at their point of need in order for us to be able to do that. That means that we have to step outside of our own world. And, you know, Neil, my, my dissertation that I completed just a, a couple of years ago was on millennial narcissism and their ability to, collect, to connect well with others. And, you know, what I discovered in my, in my um, dissertation was that these kids are not, they're not narcissists. What they are is they're entitled, and it's they're entitled because they 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 have not learned how to step outside of their world and connect well with others. And now there's a lot of them that have, and and those are the ones that you know are just continually making their mark. But we want parents to understand that it, that that they can teach their children to make that mark as well. Well, we have run out of time, and it certainly has been something to whet the appetite, especially for new parents, but parents who are struggling in these areas of relationships, even within their own family, or people who are studying, struggling with relationships with their own their own partner, their own marriages, families, employers, people at work, all sorts of people will benefit from getting a hold of an understanding of deepening 
these areas of relational intelligence. Our two guests who've been with us over this past hour, Dr. John Trent, who's president and founder of strongfamilies.com. So there's an address there to follow through John and his ministry. Dr. Dewey Wilson, founder and CEO of Strong Marriages. You could Google Strong Marriages. But to get a hold of the book we're talking about today, you'll find it from all the best booksellers. You'll find it on online stores. We mentioned earlier that it was released last month, sold out on Amazon on day one. It is going to be a book that will be a useful tool in your tool chest uh, for being a parent. And not only that, but understanding how we all relate together relationally and ways that we might strengthen our own relational intelligence. The book is called The Relationally Intelligent Child, Five Keys to Helping Your Kids Connect Well with Others. Uh, To you, John Trent, and to Dewey Wilson, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Hey, thank you. It's been great being with you. Thank you, Neil. It's been wonderful. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.